My husband and I had a long day exploring New Orleans in the summer heat. We were pretty worn out and just wanted to find a quiet bar to have a beer. We stumbled on this quaint little tavern on Bourbon Street. It didn't appear to be as noisy as the other bars, so we decided to give it a try. It was an old building. Aged wood and brick made up both the exterior and interior. The bar was fairly empty, just a few solitary drinkers at the bar counter. We decided to sit at the far end corner of the bar. We both ordered ice cold beers. This place was definitely no frills, but the staff was friendly and the vibe was relaxing. My husband got up to use the restroom. With my legs comfortably propped on a chair, I sipped my beer and took in the scene. The temperature in the room suddenly plummeted, and I shivered. Did someone crank up the air conditioning? I reached for my beer, but it was no longer resting on its coaster. My mouth fell open. The beer was levitating several inches above the bar. My eyes followed the cup as it floated away from me. It stopped abruptly at the other end of the room. I looked around. Was I crazy? No one else seemed to notice the floating beer. It hovered in place as if daring me to retrieve it. I crossed the room and grabbed my drink. But as I turned around, the hairs on the back of my neck stood at attention. Something was watching me from that dark corner. I wheeled around and finally saw a pair of glowing red eyes. Welcome to Haunted Places. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to the oldest bar in America, Lafitte's Blacksmith Shop Bar, located on famous Bourbon Street in New Orleans, Louisiana. To this day, it's haunted. If you can't get enough haunted places, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us on your favorite podcast directory, as well as on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, and on Twitter at Parcast Network. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. New Orleans hosts one of the most famous Mardi Gras festivals in the world, attracting thousands of tourists every year. On Mardi Gras, the iconic Bourbon Street is littered with people enjoying the festivities. If you find yourself in the less touristy and quieter corner of Bourbon Street and St. Philip Street in the French Quarter, it's very likely you'll take a stroll into Lafitte's Blacksmith Shop Bar. Built between 1722 and 1732, it may be the oldest bar in America. It's named after the Lafitte brothers, 
who initially opened the blacksmith shop as a front for their smuggling operations. The original owners were criminals, and their touch shows. You would think that a building nearly 300 years old must have undergone renovation over the years, but its French colonial structure has remained virtually intact. In fact, there's no electricity in most of the building. Instead, jars of candles light the entire bar. When people walk into Lafitte's, they're walking into another world. A world frozen in time. Living up to the vibe of Bourbon Street, Lafitte's Blacksmith Shop Bar is filled with patrons in search of a good time and stiff drinks. People flock to the bar for its live piano music and potent purple voodoo daiquiris. You're likely to see many smiling faces and hear laughter resonating throughout the bar. But not all of the laughter you'll hear at Lafitte's is coming from its living patrons. There have been numerous accounts of supernatural phenomena at the bar. Some have felt cold, invisible hands touching their bodies or grabbing at their cocktails. Others have reported seeing a pair of bright red eyes in dark corners of the bar. There's no body or voice attached to these piercing eyes. They exist completely alone. Some have claimed they've made eye contact with them seconds before they fade away. But the bar's patrons aren't the only ones who have encountered the paranormal. Bartenders and waitstaff have also noticed the supernatural happenings at Lafitte's. The following tales are inspired by true stories of the spirits dwelling within Lafitte's. I must have served up about a thousand voodoo blends that night. Tourists from all over the country would come in just to try that one purple cocktail. And on Mardi Gras, patrons came in droves. <sighs> on a Tuesday, no less. Man, the hours were rough. But I needed that job. In that economy, I needed that job bad. I was picking up half-empty drinks from the tables when four college boys staggered in, reeking of liquor. Sorry, we're closed for the night, I said. They ignored me and made their way to the bar. I raised my voice. Boys, I'm real sorry, but you're going to have to find somewhere else to wet your whistle. There's a couple of bars further down Bourbon that are open 24 hours. The boys stared at me. Tension hung in the air. Finally, they turned and left. One of them made sure to knock over a drink lying on the fireplace hearth on his way out. Punks. In my younger days, I wouldn't have let them get away with something like that. But I was a husband and a father now. Too much to lose. I walked over to the puddle of purple liquid near the crackling fireplace and started wiping it up. Then I heard footsteps. Were the college punks back for more fun or was someone looking to rob the place? I stood up, but saw no one. That's when I noticed a figure slowly passing by an open window from outside. At once, the candles and the fireplace flickered out. Darkness enveloped me, 
The only light filtered in from the open front door until a shadow blocked out the light. A tall man stood in the doorway, dressed in a thigh-length coat. His face was hidden under a large cocked hat, so I couldn't make out his facial features. But I knew he wasn't from this time. He strode into the bar like he owned the joint. I tried to run, to call for help, but I was frozen in place. He sauntered over to a nearby table with cool confidence. He knew I was scared, and he liked it. On the table, a solitary candle ignited. The man picked up the candle and lit the cigar dangling from his mouth. The candle illuminated the bottom half of his face, revealing a bristling French fork mustache. He smiled as he puffed the cigar, revealing a mouthful of yellow, rotting teeth. He moved closer. Once again, I tried to run, but I couldn't move. The man stopped between the fireplace and me, where a small pocket of light from the street lamp finally lit his face. As he focused his gaze on me, his smile faded. His expression turned murderous. He whispered two words that haunt me to this day. Stay away. The man dove into the fireplace, and the fireplace erupted into flames that seemed to leap out of the grate at me. I fell to the floor, trembling. But the worst seemed to be over, until I felt a burning pain against my leg. I cried out and rolled to the side. Something had burnt a hole through the leg of my pants. But what? I looked around, and that's when I spotted it. Lying near me was the unknown man's cigar, and in that moment, I realized who he was. The ghost of John Lafitte was still visiting his old stomping ground over 200 years later. Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. And now, back to our story. Lafitte's blacksmith shop owes its name to Jean Lafitte, a pirate and privateer who planted roots in New Orleans in the early 1800s, along with his brother and partner in crime, Pierre. The Lafitte brothers smuggled their loot back to New Orleans using Lafitte's blacksmith shop as a front to their illicit operation. This was an effective cover since everyone in those days needed the help of a blacksmith at one time or another. Jean, the spearhead of the smuggling operation, reaped vast riches and enjoyed the company of many women. Even after his death, he's still looking for company. <laughs> Tonight is Mary's night. You know it and the rest of the bridesmaids wearing hot pink bachelorette sashes know it. But you're a little older now, and all you want to do is go back to the hotel 
and kick off those tight, sky-high heels that are cutting off your circulation. But you can't leave. The party's still going strong, and you're the maid of honor. You don't want to abandon your best friend. The group sings, Mary's getting married. You decide to suck it up. What are friends for, right? (sighs) There's a deeper feeling tugging at you, a feeling you don't want to acknowledge. You look at your best friend in all of her bride-to-be glory, laughing and snapping photos. Her happiness could light up a city. But every time you look at her, that ugly feeling tugs at you harder. You're jealous of Mary. You're jealous of your best friend. The grip around your champagne glass tightens. The girl's singing changes to taunting. Mary's getting married. They're taunting you. After all, you're the last single woman in the group. They're talking about you, in your presence, no less. You can't hear what they're saying, but you read lips here and there. What's wrong with her? She can never keep a man. She'll never get married. Your jaw clenches. You clutch your champagne glass. Tighter. Tighter. Your friends stare at you, shocked. Mary rushes to your side. She asks if you're okay. But why wouldn't you be? Then you see your blood-covered hand. You're still clutching your broken glass. The girls help you clean up and remove tiny shards of glass from your palm. Mary wraps your hand in a towel, her eyes worried. But you're too ashamed to meet her gaze. You step outside for some fresh air. What was the matter with you earlier? Mary is your best friend. You should be happy for her. Today isn't about you. It's late, but there are a few people out on Bourbon Street. Not as rowdy as it was earlier. Through the open door of Lafitte's bar, you can see your girlfriends inside the bar. You smile to yourself. Sure, you're the last single one in the group, but they haven't made you feel excluded. Really, you've done that to yourself. You head back inside. But instead of rejoining the group, you make a beeline for the bathroom. You've had a few too many of the bar's famous purple drinks. You swing open the door and step into a dimly lit bathroom. It's quieter in here. Colder. You set your purse on the single stall bathroom counter. A few candles offer the only light inside. Framed paintings showing the history of Lafitte's bar clutter the wall. Many of the paintings feature a confident young man with a French fork mustache. It almost seems like his eyes are following you. As you turn your back to the framed paintings, a shiver runs through you. It feels as though someone is in here watching you. But that's ridiculous. It's a single-stall bathroom. You're the only one here. As you pull a toilet seat cover from the dispenser, you feel something brush the back of your neck. What was that? You spin around. 
but you see nothing. You consider running out of the stall then and there, but you shrug it off. Probably just a draft from these old walls. But just as you sit down on the toilet, you hear glass shattering. That's impossible. You didn't bring a drink in here with you. You peek through the crack in the stall door, but can't make out what broke. You slowly open the door. No one else is in the small space with you. But you see a picture frame lying on the floor. Oh, you breathe a sigh of relief. One of the framed paintings fell off the wall. Nothing to worry about. You bend down to pick it up. Until you sense someone behind you. You glance at your reflection in the mirror and gasp. <gasps> the mustached young man from the paintings is standing right behind you. You swivel around. No one is there. You look back in the mirror. The mustached man grins at you. You notice something small gleaming in his hand. He holds it out. It's an antique engagement ring made of burnished gold. As though your arm has a mind of its own, you stretch your hand toward the ring glimmering in the mirror. You touch the gold band. It feels solid. The mustached man drops the ring into your hands. You stare at the ring, feeling its solid weight in your palm. It's beautiful. So much nicer than Mary's ugly commercial diamond band. This ring has history. The mustache man cocks an eyebrow at you, as if he already knows what you'll do. He grins as you slowly slide the ring onto your finger. It doesn't take long for your friends to notice your absence. As the minutes tick by, Mary grows increasingly concerned. Has your hand started bleeding again? Maybe she should take you to the hospital. Mary asks the bartender if he's seen you. He points her in the direction of the women's bathroom. Mary tries the door, but it's locked. She pounds on the door with her fist, but you don't answer. She gives the door a hard shove with her shoulder, and the door finally gives way. She sees your purse on the sink and calls your name, but you still don't answer. She steps into the bathroom, and her heel crunches on the broken glass. There's a broken picture frame at her feet. Mary gingerly picks it up. It's a startlingly lifelike painting of a 19th century bride and groom. A dashing man in a French fork mustache poses with a woman in a beautiful old-fashioned wedding gown. For some reason, the bride looks oddly familiar. Mary removes the broken glass from the frame to get a better look, and her blood runs cold. The woman in the painting is you. Jean Lafitte, the original owner of Lafitte's blacksmith shop, still covets what he loved when he was alive, wealth and women. 
the latter of which explains why some female customers claim to have seen his apparition inside the restroom. But John isn't responsible for all the paranormal activity inside the bar. A veiled woman has been seen upstairs. Tom, a bartender at Lafitte's, was pulling a double shift. As Tom wiped down drinking glasses, it dawned on him that his last customer left an hour ago. The bar was dead. Maybe he could get away with a nap. He told Molly, the bar's willowy hostess, that he was going upstairs. Molly half nodded at him, too engrossed in her phone to even make eye contact. She wasn't supposed to use her phone at work, but Tom was too exhausted to lecture her about company policy. He grabbed a candle and climbed the staircase. He stopped. What was that noise? Perhaps the noise was coming from upstairs, but that didn't make sense. Tom and Molly were the only ones working that night. He listened, but didn't hear the noise again. Shrugging, he made his way upstairs. Tom shuffled over to the sofa, set the candle on the floor, and plopped down. It was cold downstairs, but the temperature felt 10 degrees colder here. He grabbed a blanket lying over the arm of the sofa. The blanket gave off a foul, musty odor, but he was too cold to care. Within seconds, Tom drifted off into sleep. The sound of footsteps roused him. Was it Molly? She was supposed to be downstairs watching the bar. Tom raised his head, waiting for Molly to finish making her way upstairs. A woman poked her head around the corner. He opened his mouth to say something when he realized the woman was wearing a long black gown that hid her feet and a veil that covered her face. This couldn't be Molly. She was too lazy to pull off this elaborate of a prank. Not to mention... Molly towered over Tom. This woman was about his height. Tom rubbed the sleep from his eyes. Maybe he was still dreaming. But no. The woman was still here. And she was gliding toward him. Tom opened his mouth to ask the woman who she was. But he found he couldn't speak. His skin crawled as she glided closer, closer. She passed right by Tom as if he wasn't there. He noticed his candle's flame bending toward her, as if drawn to her. The woman disappeared inside the supply closet. The door slammed shut behind her. Tom arose from the couch. He picked up the candle and crept over to the closet. Part of him wanted to run downstairs, back to the warmth and safety of the bar. But he found himself drawn toward the door. He felt like he could almost hear the veiled woman's voice, whispering to him, urging him forward. He opened the supply closet door and stepped inside, 
only to find liquor bottles and random items. No veiled woman in sight. The door slammed shut. His candle sputtered and died. Tom could hear the woman's dress dragging across the floor. He felt an overwhelming urge to run. He needed to get out of there, now. Tom tugged at the doorknob, but the door wouldn't open. He was about to give up when the doorknob finally turned. He was free. He threw open the door and found the veiled woman's face inches from his own. Behind the veil, he could tell she was smiling. Hello, Tom, she whispered. I'm going to have fun with you. Nobody knows the name of the veiled woman who lurks upstairs. Some believe the woman used to live in the shop and killed herself upstairs. People also speculate that the entity is of Marie Laveau, a Louisiana Creole woman who was known as the Voodoo Queen of New Orleans. Others believe the ghost is Madame Delphine LaLaurie, a sadistic slave owner known for brutally torturing her slaves. Because there is no evidence to support any of these theories, any of them may be true. But we do know that the veiled woman has called Lafitte's blacksmith shop home for years. We'll return to our story in just a moment. Now, the story continues. By 1812, Jean Lafitte was a successful but crooked businessman who smuggled goods across the swamps and bayous that stretched south of New Orleans to the Gulf of Mexico. On more than one occasion, government officials tried to capture Lafitte in the swamps, but Lafitte and his men swiftly evaded or killed their pursuers. Lafitte wasn't going to let anything or anyone take his money. But once in a while, Lafitte encountered a customer who didn't hold up his end of the bargain, or who tried to swindle Jean out of his money. And Lafitte showed them no mercy. You're a regular at Lafitte's, so much so that it's your own version of Cheers. It's not an exaggeration to say, everybody knows your name. And they know your drink. Rum and Coke, extra lime. You don't bother with that touristy purple drink nonsense. You take your first sip and let out a satisfied sigh. Life's not perfect, but it's good. You have cash in your pocket for food and good drinks. You survey the bar with a smile. Feels like a second home. Sure, there have been many rumors of the place being haunted, but in all the years you've been coming here, you've never seen anything creepy. You're surprised to hear the tinkle of broken glass. Somehow, your drink has tumbled off the bar and onto the floor, as if pushed by an invisible hand. You shoot a guilty look to the bartender, Emma. She's been working here ever since the older bartender, Tom, disappeared. 
Emma tells you not to worry about the mess, but you insist. You want to help with the cleanup. She shrugs and directs you to an upstairs supply closet. She warns you to take a candle. It can get pretty dark up there. You head upstairs, candle in hand, and make your way to the supply closet at the far end of the room. You open the door and scream as a dark shape flies at your face. But it's nothing more than a mop handle. Feeling rather foolish, you rummage through the supply closet and grab a roll of paper towels. That's when you hear it. Men's raised voices coming from downstairs. Strangely, they're yelling in French. Perhaps French tourists? But then you hear something new. If you didn't know better, you'd swear some sort of sword fight is going on down below you. What on earth is happening? You don't want to run downstairs to see. After all, you don't want to get caught up in a bar fight. That's it. You can't take it anymore. You grab the mop, clutching it as your impromptu weapon. You race down the steps to the first floor and nearly drop your mop. Emma is gone, along with the rest of the other patrons. A group of unfamiliar men wearing 19th century clothes cluster at tables around the room. You yell for help, but none of the men even look at you. All of them are staring out the front window, where you can hear the sounds of swords clashing. What is going on? Are you losing your mind? You run for the front door, desperate to escape from this waking nightmare. But as you throw the door open, a young man stumbles into you. The two of you toppled down to the ground. You shove the man off of you. But when you open your mouth to tell him off, your words catch in your throat. Blood is spreading over the man's white linen shirt and his buttoned coat. His face is pale. His eyes are closed. Is he... Is he dead? His eyes shoot open. He grabs your shirt by the collar. He mumbles something to you in French. You can't understand him, but you can tell he's desperate, terrified. But of what? You hear footsteps and look up. Towering over you are three men, their cocked hats tipped low to cover their faces. You stumble to your feet, clutching your mop. You stare at them, bewildered. And this makes them even angrier. They want answers. Answers you don't have. You try to run, but two of the men grab you by the arms and slam you against the wall of the bar. They rip the mop out of your hands and toss it aside. The third man steps up to you. Your eyes linger, not on his trim buttoned coat or his French forked mustache, but on the sword he holds casually in his right hand. A sword stained red with blood. Your throat tightens. You try to beg with your life, but you can't even speak. The mustached man glares at you. He asks you a question in French. 
You stare at him blankly, and he switches to English. Where is my money? He demands. I know you two were working together. What money? You have no idea what he's talking about. But it's clear the mustached man doesn't believe you. He rests the tip of his blade against your throat. Your friend chose death over paying me my due. What will you choose? The man presses the blade's tip harder into your throat until you feel it piercing your skin. You try to beg, to plead for your life, but it's pointless. You know you're going to die. As the sword digs into your skin, you feel a trickle of blood running down your throat. But the man pauses and turns his head. You follow his gaze and see a woman making her way toward you. Dressed like the men in a short button coat and white linen shirt, she carries herself with confidence. She rests a hand on the mustached man's shoulder. As she whispers in his ear, you notice a beautiful gold ring glinting on her hand. The mustached man protests in French, but the woman's voice is firm. With a sigh, the man lowers his sword from your throat. He turns and walks away down the street, his men on his heels. The woman lingers with you, her dark eyes locked on yours. You open your mouth to thank her, but she rushes forward and grabs you, shaking you so hard your head slams into the wall. Go home. You feel someone shaking you awake. It's Emma, the bartender. She's looking at you with concern. You look around. You're lying on the floor of the bar. You must have had too much to drink. You take a deep breath. None of this was real. But why does Emma look so frightened? She's staring at you. At your throat. You touch your fingers to your throat. And they come back, coated in blood. You're bleeding right where you were cut by the sword. For all the good times you've had at Lafitte's, you finally accept that this place is indeed haunted. Thanks for listening to Haunted Places. Don't forget to subscribe to Haunted Places on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. A new episode comes out every Thursday. We'll see you next week. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler. It is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Ron Shapiro. With production assistance by Joel Stein and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. 
Haunted Places is written by Mallory Velasquez. I'm Greg Polson.